With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Today, I have with me Michael Day Bernardis. He is a counsel at Hughes Hubbard, and along with his colleague Jonathan Zickelbaum, they recently authored a paper entitled Revisiting the China Initiative for the Focus on FCPA Prosecutions of Chinese Companies Produce Results. I had the opportunity to visit with Michael on the China Initiative, and we talked about some of the developments around this, why it's significant, what developments have been seen over the past six months since the initiative was announced. Does the initiative tie into greater transparency for Chinese-owned companies in the United States? Does the China Initiative mean that the FCPA is being weaponized, and if so, what are the implications? What about Chinese pushback? Uh, obviously, FedEx uh, took some of the brunt uh, from a pushback in another area. But if we think about GSK in China, what that might mean going forward, it's a fascinating exploration on the intersection of both foreign policy, trade sanctions, FCPA, and the Trump administration's apparent trade war with China. I know you will enjoy it. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And uh, we are all in for a treat today because I have back with me Michael DiBernardis. He's fastly becoming a fan fave on the FCPA Compliance Report. And we're going to take up a topic today that uh, frankly concerns me a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to explore this from Michael from really his white-collar defense perspective. So, Michael, first of all, for that incredibly long-winded introduction, uh, welcome back, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Uh, thanks, Tom. It's always always fun to come on and, and chat with you about these interesting topics. So what we're going to take up today, Michael, as you know, is the China Initiative. And I thought maybe uh, you could introduce to our audience what the China Initiative is, most specifically around the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Sure. So uh, the China Initiative was announced by attorney, then Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions really sh- shortly before he, he resigned. Um, and, and its main focus was on um, putting resources in place, uh, conducting training, uh, and, and having prosecutorial emphasis, I'll say, uh, around what, what the DOJ has termed Chinese economic espionage. So the focus was really on on combating trade secrets theft, uh, combating you know hacking by by Chinese parties, but 
uh, a really interesting component of the initiative. And, and it was laid out in a November 1, 2018 press release. There was, there was a fact sheet that had 10 goals for the initiative. And, and sort of the one that's, I think, most relevant for our conversation today and the one that, that maybe caught some people by surprise was, was a goal to identify FCPA cases involving Chinese companies that compete with American businesses. Uh, and, and so, you know, the, the theory was this is a, just another way that the Chinese government and Chinese companies are, are acting unfairly towards eco- U.S. economic interests. Uh, but this one, this sort of particular goal of the China initiative really stood out. So the um, the initiative around the FCPA, Michael, uh, frankly concerned me if it could be interpreted as a weaponization of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, its enforcement uh, and prosecution. Uh, I recognize that numerous commentators, or at least some, have alleged that in the past. I, I've tended to reject that uh, because I didn't see any of that sitting where I do is sort of watching it from the outside. But moreover, uh, all of the companies that uh, I had seen prosecuted or involved in enforcement actions had had actually violated the FCPA. Mm-hmm. And that um, the uh, facts on the ground certainly supported an enforcement action and it supported the fines and penalties leveled against them. And my concern here is that um, now we we uh, other parties may be able to at least allege selective enforcement against the uh, China initiative. What's sort of your thoughts on that? Uh, I think that's certainly a concern. And and, and it's one that uh, I think a lot of uh, practitioners in this area share. A lot of commentators certain, certainly ha- have shared the same. Um, at the very least, it, it seems to be uh, changing a new approach, a novel approach for the DOJ in these cases. Um, you know, I, I think if you talk to people who, who are, who are inside the FCP unit, FCPA unit now or, or have been, um, the common refrain is that they, they follow the evidence and the, and the cases sort of, um, you know, evolve in that manner and that particular industries and certainly particular countries are not targets. Um, so this is, this is certainly going to be a novel approach. Um, I think the the concern you've expressed uh, is a real one, and, and it's one that, uh, in truth, may ultimately um, hamper the the DOJ in reaching the goal of, of the initiative. Um, in, in right around the same time, actually, that the China initiative was announced, although it was it was just coincidence that China passed. A uh, international criminal judicial assistance law to, to sort of fo- formalize their process for assisting in foreign criminal investigations involving Chinese companies, and and one of the stated formal reasons for denying a request for assistance is uh, you know that the the crime appears to be motivated by politics, the investigation appears to be motivated by politics. Or, uh, you know, there's another, uh, stated justification, which, you know, China can deny assistance if the request seems to be based on, you know, race or nationality. So 
by by framing the initiative in this way, focusing specifically on Chinese companies, you're sort of providing fodder for Chinese authorities to to deny requests for assistance. And, and really, that assistance can be critical in trying to make one of these FCPA cases. Michael, let me unpack that uh, in a minute because I want to go back to uh, one of your opening remarks. Uh, which was the reason for the overall China initiative, not simply the FCPA component. And I think most Americans, uh, if they don't recognize, perhaps acknowledge that um, China had been had engaged in unfair trade practices. And the efforts of the administration to curb that, uh, I, I at least feel, are, are generally applauded within the U.S. business community. What uh, I don't see is, uh, or what concerns me, is perhaps a disconnection of FCPA enforcement, which is uh, not uh, typically involved with counterfeiting, not typically involved with theft of trade secrets, not typically involved with cartel or other anti-trade foci, uh, but uh, obviously is is bribery and corruption. Now, I recognize China does have uh, what I call the belt and suspenders, uh, but it's roads and bridges initiatives, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I, I just don't see a connection immediately between FCPA and a bribery and a corruption enforcement and the greater goal for more fair trade between the United States and China. Uh, did, is that a fair assessment for, for you to consider? I, I think so. I mean, I, I, I agree. Um, if you, there, there are 10, 10 goals of the China Initiative. Nine of them really work together, combating trade, trade theft, Economic espionage, providing training to universities, uh, you know, in, in terms of combating economic espionage, you've got, uh, you know, uh, emphasis on on um, combating and prosecuting uh, violations of the Foreign Agents Registration Act. All of those things sort of work together, and this FCPA goal, it, it doesn't seem to fit fit within the broader scheme. So I, I do think that. That your your thought is is a fair one. Um, that uh, you know the effort of the U.S. government, which which I think you're right. I mean, it's not just applauded by the by business community, but but I think it has largely has has mostly by bipartisan support of of really curbing some some of these unfair trade practices. Particular goal seems to be an outlier within within that overall set. So now let me turn to your concern raised about potential or lack of cooperation between China and U.S. prosecutors. I can remember uh, when the GlaxoSmithKline case broke back in the summer of 2013. I was at a conference, and there was a former FCPA unit prosecutor who was uh, on a panel, and I asked him if he could at least acknowledge that there were communications between um uh, DOJ prosecutors and uh, their counterparts in China around this issue uh, without getting into the substance of any of those. And and he related the following, that uh, the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission in the early part of this decade put on a series of workshops uh, with their counterparts in other countries around anti-bribery, anti-corruption investigations and enforcement. And uh, the reason was twofold. One was to actually teach these techniques, which were a little more advanced in the United States at that time, but it was also to develop relationships with other prosecutors. I think from the DOJ perspective, uh, we see this most clearly with Brazilian prosecutors, but the answer the, the lawyer gave was that, uh, uh, yes, there were relationships developed. 
and that the global scourge of bribery and corruption is is something that I think many prosecutors in in many different countries feel very strongly about. And so that uh, while the political disputes may be going on at the top, at least at one point in time, there were uh, open communications between the kind of line prosecutors in various countries. And I guess uh, after listening or kind of hearing your opening remarks on the prosecutorial aspect, it, it concerns me that we may lose those relationships, or the Department of Justice, I should say, would lose those relationships and their ability to have a conduit of information, even if it does not include specific prosecution of Chinese companies. Another fair point, Tom. I, I mean, I think the efforts of, of U.S. prosecutors to create those relationships have uh, been successful, very successful in certain places. Brazil is a, is a great example, um, and less successful in others. And, and I think uh, one of the places where really there hasn't been a ton of success has been in in creating those relationships and and really engaging in that cooperation with China. Uh, and, and it's sort of been a uh, a really poorly kept secret that the U.S.'s efforts to use uh, MLAT's Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty, there's an agreement in place between the U.S. and China for for this type of assistance, and that they it has really been been unsuccessful. Uh, and actually, um, again, sort of by coincidence, uh, there was a, a recent case uh, here in D.C. Uh, that shed some some more specific light on this issue. And, and the, I don't want to get into the details of the case, uh, which related to subpoenas that the, the DOJ uh, had sent to some Chinese banks. Um, but uh, in the course of, of writing her, her opinion, Judge Howell in, in DDC um, brought up some, some real statistics on this issue. Uh, and I don't have them in front of me, but it was, uh, you know, I think the statistics that, that they had was there were 50, over the past decade, there have been 50 requests by the Department of Justice for bank records in China. Um, and 35 of them have gone completely unanswered. The other 15 uh, came back incomplete or with summaries rather than the actual evidence. Uh, and that, that there were, I believe there's 40 outstanding requests for assistance that haven't been, been even acknowledged or responded to by China. So um, the, the, the reality is right now, uh, and, and part of the reason that the Department of Justice hasn't had success in bringing FCPA cases against Chinese companies is that they're not getting cooperation on the other side. And like I said, I don't think that, that announcing this initiative in this way necessarily helps that cause. So now let me turn, to Michael, to two areas where I think uh, FCPA, if not enforcement, certainly scrutiny would be appropriate. Uh, the first was, and we've had one example of this, uh, what uh, used to be called reverse mergers, where a Chinese company uh, uh, or investor would buy an existing U.S. company that was publicly listed. Uh, and it, this was done more often in the early part of the decade, largely for investment purposes. But I'm, if you purchase a U.S. publicly traded company, you're going to subject yourself to a wide variety of laws, known or unknown, to the Chinese purchaser. And there was a company called Rhino that got into trouble in that manner. The, the other area, though, is what I'd refer to as uh, the Belts and Roads 
uh, initiative by China, where they are working quite diligently in, in uh, emerging countries to uh, build infrastructure projects, have massive infrastructure projects. And there's uh, kind of either open secrets or under undertoned rumblings or even complaints, maybe that's the better phrase, <laughs> that um, the Chinese are not doing this on a level playing field, meaning that uh, there may be uh, gratuities being paid or other benefits uh, being given to certain foreign government officials to facilitate these massive infrastructure projects. I find FCPA enforcement appropriate in those situations where the facts uh, justify it. And certainly as to the second issue, uh, I think it's well within the purview of the Department of Justice to, to, to try to protect U.S. companies through maintaining or at least trying to maintain a level playing field uh, by penalizing bribery and corruption. Do you see any evidence of that in the China initiative? Well, I think – first, I agree with you. I think those are those are, are two very uh, reasonable places for, uh, for an FCPA focus. Uh, the, the Belt and Road Initiative uh, is sort of getting international attention for, for a great number of reasons, um, and there's actually been a lot of attention from the anti-corruption perspective, and, and China itself, uh, to their credit, has – has held a number of workshops and, and initiatives to really try to make sure that that the the initiative uh, is done with as much integrity as possible. Um, you know, they're, they're providing training. Uh, the some of the development banks that are in, involved in various aspects of the Belt and Road Initiative have been have been chipping in um, to to try to make sure uh, that that you know there is some some level of integrity and an expectation that um, companies are not going to going to run wild and, and just start paying bribes all over the globe to win these lucrative contracts. Uh, the, from a, so I, I'm on board. I, I, I agree with you that uh, some FCPA scrutiny on those projects is appropriate. I think um, that they're the ultimate sort of issue there could could end up being jurisdictional whether. Uh, the the U.S. can find a, a way to gain jurisdiction uh, over some of the conduct involved in in that initiative, where the projects are um, are overseas, and and many of the companies that are that are bidding for those projects against the the U.S. companies who might be involved um, may not have have firm ties to the U.S. So I, I do I do agree with you. I think that that's fair. I don't know that. Uh, it was the Belt and Road Initiative, or, or even reverse mergers, or, or even um, you know efforts recently in the in the Senate to to change the accounting rules uh, and disclosure rules for Chinese companies um, are are formally related to the China Initiative. Uh, I think it's it's a broader um, effect of this this recognition that you know we, we really have to. Uh, China is a, is a great economic power, and and steps need to be taken uh, at various levels to to rein in what is viewed as un, unfair trade practices. Michael, let me uh, change the focus just a little bit to uh, people who might be your clients or potential clients, U.S. companies, perhaps other companies, but certainly U.S. companies. And one of my fears is that um, that an aggressive use of the FCPA per the China Initiative could uh, start a 
kind of a, either a tit for tat or or even worse, <clears throat> Chinese authorities investigating U.S. or other Western companies. Now we had uh, one pretty good example of that, and I mentioned it earlier, GlaxoSmithKline, back in 2014. <clears throat> Excuse me, and the um, that uh, prosecution was extraordinarily interesting, largely because it was uh, based upon Chinese domestic law, which is cl- quite severe around bribery and corruption and payment to Chinese government officials. And I tell people wherever you want to be in life, in under investigation, in trial, or in a Chinese jail is not any of the top three. And so if, um, uh, if the Chinese begin to uh, investigate U.S. companies, uh, I'm not, uh, I guess I, I fear that, but how do you think through or how would you advise a, a U.S. company who's, you know, literally done business for 20 years in China, a multinational company that's part of their routine business or, or potential growth opportunities they see in China? How do you advise them really at this point uh, in June of 2019 with the myriad of things going on uh, with this administration? It is an, I'll tell you, it's an incredibly difficult conversation. Uh, I, I'm in a, in a unique position because I, I have the privilege to work with a number of, of U.S. companies that do business in China, but I also have the privilege to work with a number of Chinese companies who, who do business in the U.S. and elsewhere. And, and there's pressure, this sort of unease on both sides of this. Even if we're doing our best, uh, we may be prosecuted, um, for, you know, based on politics and based on, on this, this great trade war. I, truthfully, the concern seems to be greater for right now for, for Chinese companies that, that in response to the China initiative, in response to the, the Huawei Chinese, our Chinese clients are, are nervous and, and very uneasy, um, by what they, they view on their side as politically motivated prosecution. Um, U.S. companies that I've worked with in China are certainly wary, and, and they're taking steps to, you know, make sure that that uh, if they haven't already, that make sure that the the business they're operating in China is is, you know, strictly complying with Chinese law, because the the Huawei prosecution has been so public, and and you know, before, before that we had ZTE, uh, you know, that there's there's a feeling at least that. The U.S. has been more aggressive in in sort of targeting companies uh, is, as part of this trade war. At least that's that's how it's viewed by the on the Chinese side of this. Uh, so, it, but it's difficult. I mean, there, there's there's not a whole lot you can tell a company other than uh, you know be careful, make sure that you're doing everything appropriately. Uh, that doesn't give a lot of comfort when when uh, companies are are worried that. The prosecution is going to be, you know, politically motivated. And I guess even if, a, uh, even with that uh, sage advice, uh, we had the example this week of FedEx, who uh, through apparently an error, but an error based in good faith on attempting to follow U.S. sanctions around specifically Huawei uh, uh, trans or uh, um, ship packages that were addressed to Huawei to the United States. Turned out that was an incorrect decision by FedEx, but now there are myriad investigations going on in China. So I guess uh, one of my other greater fears is that there are so many moving parts that even a company as sophisticated in shipping products as FedEx, as that's their business, uh, can make in good faith a misstep, and that misstep could lead to 
uh, much greater sanctions down the road. That's I think that's absolutely uh, absolutely possible and, and right. And, and the, the another thing you may start seeing the U.S. It, it, just sticking with the FCPA context uh, has not been shy about prosecuting U.S. companies, European companies for their activities in China, uh, and and by doing so, um, you know, it, it, to date the. Chinese government hasn't taken much of an act, you know, a a corresponding act with respect to that. If if the U.S. prosecutes a uh, a U.S. company for corruption in China, um, there have there hasn't been much effort on the part of the Chinese government to also, you know, prosecute that company. That may change, and we may you may have a situation where the DOJ is is sort of teeing up cases for for the Chinese government to to take of against U.S., American, and, and European companies. Well, Michael, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but this has just been a fascinating uh, discussion of a, not only a real-world problem, but one is literally changing by the day. So uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, thanks very much, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have any questions on this episode, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, I'd urge you to check out Michael and Jonathan's most excellent article, Revisiting the China Initiative, with a focus on FCPA prosecutions of Chinese companies produce results. We, of course, link to it in the show notes. There's information on how to contact Michael should you wish to do so in that article. I hope you'll join us again next week where we have another topical conversation around the FCPA compliance and ethics. The FCPA Compliance Report is produced by the Compliance Podcast Network and is a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.